It's exciting to be here with you on this Resurrection Sunday to be able to continue in our series we're calling Messiah. And on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to sort of go back to an old tradition and some date all the way back to Mary Magdalene, a faithful follower of Jesus. I don't know if it goes back that far, but it's a tradition where I will yell out, he is risen, and then you'll respond, he's risen indeed. Okay, I think we can do that, right? So I'll say he's risen, you'll say he's risen. All right, all right, you got it. Let's do it. He's risen. All right, respond like you believe it. He's risen. He's risen ah, that's good. One more time. He's risen. He's risen indeed. You bet he has. Well, we're going to spend some time looking at Jesus as the Savior and Messiah. And we're going to begin by looking at the, this, this truth that's at the very heart of the gospel. In fact, Paul, who, who really preached the gospel throughout his known world, uh, this is what he wrote, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Uh, this is the very heart of the gospel. It's worth impressing on our hearts and our minds that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day. This is the very cornerstone of our faith. I love this account. It's of the great 19th century British preacher, Charles Spurgeon. He was once asked if he could sort of summarize his faith in a few words. And Charles Spurgeon said, I can do it in four. Christ died for me. And that's the truth. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. He died for you. He died for everyone else. This is the essence of the gospel message. But why? To answer that question, we got to go all the way back to the beginning. When we look back to our origin story, we discovered that we've been made in the very image of God. Genesis 1.27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God created us in his image. That means he's given us the, the ability to have the unique characteristics which he's endowed us with. As followers of Christ, we understand that the spirit of God is transforming us into the very image of Jesus, which means that we are able to love the way that, that he loves, that we're, we're, we're developing the very character of Christ in our lives and we're on mission with him. Uh, we have life because God created us and because God breathed life into us. Listen to Genesis 2-7. The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. God took the dust of the ground and he, he forms this human being, and we picture Adam, the first man. He has hair, he has skin, he has organs, but he's not living. He's not living. He has everything he needs, practically needs to be alive, but he's not alive until God literally breathed life into him and he became a living being. Adam was not a living being until God breathed life into him. And I share this to emphasize that we've been created by God with such intimacy because we exist to be in a loving relationship with him. And this is good news. This is good news. In fact, we were even given a perfect place to live. The scriptures tell us that there was this place, Eden, and the Hebrew word translated Eden is, is a word that, that's meant to, to mean pleasure and delight. 
God planned and planted Eden. It was mankind's first home. It had all kinds of trees. It was pleasing to the eye. It was a place where we had all the nourishment and nurture we needed. It was good for food and it had all kinds of animals. In fact, we're told in scripture that Adam and Eve, they were unclothed in the garden, indicating that they needed no protection at all, that the climate, the environment was perfect for them. Eden was a place where Adam and Eve were able to meet with God. The creator was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and Eve could meet with him and converse with him. In the middle of the garden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of which God said to Adam, you can't eat. Uh, You must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. One prohibition in all of Eden. They can eat of any tree. But the one tree, God says, don't eat of that tree or you'll die. God had created Adam and Eve to be free with a moral sense and the ability to make decisions, to choose for themselves. The presence of this forbidden tree provided this opportunity for them to make a decision whether they were going to obey or disobey. And unfortunately, Adam failed to test. The serpent in the garden, Satan, tempted Eve with a false promise and Eve took of the fruit. Then she took it to Adam, who also partook. But where where they were standing, they realized that that this disobedience was going to bring horrible consequences, disastrous consequences, but not just to themselves, but to their descendants, to you and to, to me. In fact, they lost their fellowship with God. They lost their home. They were cast out of Eden. They lost their innocence. And this is bad news for all of us. The scripture tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us on the same playing field before God. Romans 6.23, first part of that verse. For the wage of sin is death. What we've earned because of sin is death. This left humanity east of Eden, unable to return, longing for intimacy with God in the home for which they were created. In fact, all we have to do is look around and we realize we no longer live in a place that can be described wholly as pleasurable or delightful due to sickness and wars and loneliness and strife and and loss. But there was a promise. There was hope even in the curse. Genesis 3.15. I will put anonymity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15 points to the serpent's defeat, Satan, by a future descendant of Eve, Jesus. The defeat is is inspired by the serpent being bruised in the head, which is more serious than the offspring of Eve being bruised in the heel. And and for this very reason, this hope that we find in Genesis 3.15, this verse has become known as the Proto-Evangelum, which is the, the first pronouncement of the gospel and scripture, the good news. But although sin entered into the world, although humanity seemed to be in a hopeless situation, that God had a plan, a plan filled with hope, filled with salvation, filled with redemption. For thousands and thousands of years, God began to weave the sacred thread throughout history by creating a people, the chosen people, who would be a light unto the nations. And yet they too failed to be a perfect light. Time and time again, they strayed from God and and God would send prophet after prophet to bring them back and and to share prophecies about the Messiah. Now, who's the Messiah? 
The Messiah, Christ, which means anointed one, is the promised one mentioned back in Genesis 3.15. He's the person of promise. And his prophecies of him coming were told throughout the entire Old Testament. Thousands of years came and went. Thousands of years came and went, then something happened. The Messiah came. We read in the first chapter of John, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came. Jesus, God, humbled himself and took upon his divinity, human humanity. He, he took upon his divinity, human flesh. In fact, the word incarnation means the act of, of being uh, made flesh. It comes from the Latin version of John 1.14. Jesus came. He came with a mission. Look at Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In other words, Jesus came to save those who were far from him, yet so close to his heart. He came with this purpose of fulfilling Genesis 3.15, of bringing true life. In fact, Romans 6.23, we, read, we looked at the first part of the verse, the wages of sin is death. But the good news is found in the second part of that verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Due to sin, we deserve debt. Death, but this is a debt we cannot pay. Only a perfect sacrifice like those mentioned in the prophecies or those foreshadowed through the sacrificial system recorded throughout the Old Testament could pay the price for our sin. So the promised one, the Messiah, the anointed one, he, he didn't just say he loved us. He, he demonstrated in such a powerful act of love. We discover in Scripture, John 3.16, and John 3.16 is one of those verses that some people say, it's so overused. <laughs> but you can't overuse it. It's the gospel in a nutshell. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. For God so loved the world, for God so loved me, for God so loved you, for God so loved all of us so much. But he sent Jesus to die in our stead. I've said this so many times, but it never tires of me to be reminded of it, that God didn't just say he loved us. He showed us. He demonstrated it on the cross. Listen to Mark 10, 45. Jesus is speaking of himself. He says, for even the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. From the year about six century BC to the fourth century AD, the cross was used as a method of execution. It was a brutal and painful way to be executed. In crucifixion, a person was either nailed or, or, or tied to a cross until they died. And, and, and the pain was so extravagant that we talk about this excruciating pain of the cross. The word excruciating itself comes from the understanding of it's out of the cross, out of the cross, excruciating. However, because of Christ, and his death on the cross, the meaning of the cross today is entirely different. In Christianity, we understand that the cross was the intersection of God's love and justice. The intersection of God's love and justice. Now, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John tells us. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Why is Jesus the Lamb of God? Well, we've got to go back to Exodus 12. Exodus 12 is the Passover. And God tells the, the people who will become his chosen people, the people of Israel, he says to them, listen, the angel of death is coming. 
And so you need to kill a lamb, and you need to take the lamb's blood and put it over the doorpost. And when the angel of death sees that blood on the doorpost, he'll fly over, and you'll be safe. You'll be secure. And so there's this understanding of this Passover that blood brings safety. When Jesus came to John to be baptized, John recognized him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, thereby identifying Jesus in God's plan for him to be sacrificed for our sin and and die in our place. In other words, when Jesus died on the Friday of Passover, the, the time commemorating, remembering what God had done in saving Israel way back in Exodus 12, when Jesus died during Passover that Friday, it was not a coincidence. It was part of God's plan. In fact, as Jesus was dying on the cross in the very temple right there in Jerusalem, lambs were being sacrificed for their blood to cover the sins of Israel. And, And as that's happening in the temple, Jesus is dying on the cross. His blood being shed for us so that we could find safety and salvation in him. Because of Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross, those who place their faith and trust in him alone for salvation are guaranteed eternal life. And this is good news. Offering us a choice to receive Jesus and to receive salvation. But if Jesus had just died for our sins and that was the end of the story, none of us would be forgiven. None of us would have life. Something more needed to happen and it did. Remember what Paul wrote about the heart of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received from that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus died on the cross. He lay dead and buried. That, that Satan believed he had won. The disciples believed they had lost. But in the dark, darkest moment, light pierced through the darkness and Christ was alive. The resurrection of Jesus is of vital importance. In fact, the resurrection witnesses to the immense power of God himself. To, to believe in the resurrection is to believe in God. If God exists, if he created the universe and he has power over it, he has the power to raise the dead. But if he doesn't have that power, but he's not worthy of our worship, he's not worthy of our praise. Only he who created life can bring the dead back to life. Only he can reverse the hideousness of death itself and only he can remove the sting of death and gain victory over the grave. In resurrecting Jesus from the grave, God reminds us of his sovereignty, of his power, of the, of the fulfillment of his, prophes- of his prophecies. The resurrection of Jesus Christ not only validates he's God, but also that all the Old Testament prophecies that were foretold of Jesus' suffering and resurrection were in fact true. If, if Jesus Christ was not resurrected, we have no hope. In fact, think about it. In fact, apart from Christ's resurrection, there is no savior. There, there, there is no salvation. There is no eternal hope. As Paul writes, he says, without the resurrection, our faith would be useless. The gospel would be altogether powerless and our sins would remain unforgiven. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
And when Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, he's talking about the fact that he does more than give life. He is life. And that's why death has no power over him. Think about that this morning. Jesus confers his life to those who trust him so that they can triumph over death. We who believe in Jesus Christ will personally experience resurrection because having life, Jesus gives life. So we can overcome death. Death has no sting. It's impossible for death to win. How many of you think that's good news this morning? There's life in Jesus. In fact, the resurrection is a triumphant and glorious victory for every believer. And that's good news. It's good news to all who receive Christ as Lord and Savior. In fact, I can say it no plainer than this. Jesus Christ indeed died, was buried, and rose on the third day according to the scriptures, thus proving Jesus as Savior and and Lord, the Messiah, and that genuine life is found in him and him alone. However, to receive this life, to receive this salvation, we have a choice. And that choice is, will we or will we not receive Jesus? Will we not receive his invitation to come to him? In fact, in the Gospels, there's three primary invitations that Jesus gives to us. The first is this. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So it's the early dawn of mankind's history when the Eden bliss became a desert discord and we became creatures of restlessness. There was a plan. A plan that would allow us to find rest in Christ. To be able to understand that, that he had a plan for us from the very beginning is quite a powerful thing to realize that God's love is so profound, but he didn't leave us in his predicament. When we lack peace that comes from God through the saving grace of Christ, we're like fish out of water. So Jesus says, come to me and find peace. I say to you this morning, Jesus says, if any of you need to find rest and peace, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. The second invitation, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Personal salvation is not an occasional rendezvous with God. It's it's an actual dwelling with God. Being a follower of Christ, a a believer understands that God's not just a part of their life, but we have been created to receive and participate in a lifelong, eternity-long, intimate relationship with God. And I love what the prophet King David wrote. He, He was thinking about this amazing opportunity to be in relationship with God, and he writes this. He says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Intimate relationship with the Lord. If you're here this morning, if, whether you're on campus or online and, and you're working through the fact of just your restlessness, trying to figure things out, trying to figure out where do I fit, Jesus says, come to me, abide in me, and I will abide in you. I'll let you understand your purpose. I'll let you understand why, why you've been created and existed to be in relationship with God. Jesus says, come to me. Then the third invitation. Jesus said, follow them and I will make you fishers of men. I mean, if you've been a follower of Christ for any time, you understand that we were saved to serve, we were redeemed to reproduce spiritually, that we're fished out of the miry clay so we can become fishers of men, leading others to Jesus. Leading others to Jesus by sharing his love and message. These three invitations, 
These invitations to come to Jesus, they're not my invitation for you. They're Jesus' invitation for you. You can find them right in the Gospels. And here it is. Way back in Eden, Adam made a faithful choice, yet if we were to be honest, like Adam, we have all made choices that reflect some lack of trust in God. All of us have done that. We've all fallen short and deserved death, but our debt has been paid in full through Christ's loving sacrifice and act of dying in our stead on the cross. In other words, we have no need to live in our regrets. We, we have no need to be, need to be consumed, consumed by fears, for, for the grave could not keep Christ down, and through his resurrection, he offers new life to each and every one of us. That's good news. Salvation is offered to all of us today, and its full effect will be experienced when we spend eternity with him in the unforeseen future in paradise. God offers to turn our life, lost lives around and experience his goodness. Think about it this morning. No one has found true rest, lasting rest, apart from Christ. So I ask you, do you want rest? Do you want joy? Do you want peace? Do you want security? Do you want the abundant life? Then come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and receive him as Savior and Lord. Surrender your life and heart to him, the Messiah. It's pretty exciting. A friend of mine, this is sort of the first Easter that he's had this renewed relationship with Jesus. And he's been sending me texts throughout this Passion Week, this Holy Week leading up to Easter. And, and every text is, is an exciting moment of realizing what he has in Jesus that he didn't have before Jesus. And every time he said, I beat him this morning. I actually sent one to him before he sent me one. But, but all the rest of the week he was beating me. And as he, as, he, as he was sending these to me, I was just reminded of the goodness of God, the gospel story as Paul recorded it, and, and the amazing invitation that Jesus still gives us, to, us today. To say, if you want these things, if you want to know why you were made, if you want to know why you exist, if you want rest, if you want peace, if you want salvation, come to Jesus. And if you want to continue to experience those things, continue to walk with him. Jesus is a living God. They're his living words, life-giving words for us this morning. So I ask you, where are you with Christ? Have you received him as Lord and Savior? Are you surrendered to him, allowing him to empower you to live the life that you've been created to live? If not, won't you receive him this morning? Won't you receive him this morning, whether you're on campus or online? Just take a moment to quiet through your heart and say yes to Jesus. And I pray in just a moment, make it your prayer. <coughs> and for all of us that are here this morning, I say to you again, he has risen. Ah, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> He's risen indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for being raised from the dead because, because I've sinned and need forgiveness. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come into my life. I'll change my direction by acknowledging you as Lord and Savior and turning away from my sins. Lord, thank you that Jesus died, that you, Jesus, died for my sins and was resurrected for my salvation, forgiving me forgiveness, eternal life, and hope in you. I don't have to live in my regrets. I don't have to be consumed by fear. Because you conquered the grave and invite me to do life with you, 
all things have changed. What happened way back in Eden when sin entered the world, which was disastrous for all of us. But even at that moment, you made a promise in Genesis 3.15 that you would send one who would bring salvation, who would deliver us. And although this world we live in can no longer be characterized as delightful and pleasurable all the times because of loss and sickness and all the other things that exist here, we understand that you will return and you're going to take us to paradise. That we get to spend eternity with you there. But even today, we get to find rest in you. We get to find peace in you. We get to find the abundant life in you, our Lord and Savior. And so thank you for the privilege of being able to come here this morning and whether we're on campus or watching online, Lord God, to be able to participate in this time of just remembering that you are our living Savior. That although the time between the cross and the empty tomb was a time where, where many felt hopeless, that the great hope, the great hope happened when that stone rolled away and you showed yourself to be King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you make that true in our lives this morning? We praise you and thank you for loving us so completely, so powerfully, and giving us the ability to love you back. In Jesus' name, amen.